Welcome to another Sunday morning sermon from Marysville Christian Church. We're glad you're here joining us on this journey to learn more, love more, and look more like Jesus. We invite you to grab a cup of coffee and a Bible as we dive into God's Word. We have probably all had those moments in life when we wish we could just see and talk to God for ourselves. I mean, there's plenty of different times. I mean, I've got, a, I've got a whole list of things, and I know you do too, of things you want to ask God. Things you want to explain. Just One, just because you're curious. Others, just because you're still kind of ticked at Him, you know, because I don't know what you had in mind when this happened. Angie, if you don't mind, go back to the very first screen that I skipped from John 1. God wants people to know him, not just for who he is, though, but for what he's really like. And that's how John starts to tell people what he knows about Jesus. It's this way in John 1 verse 14, the word became flesh and blood and chose to live among us. We saw his greatness with our own eyes. And you know when you say stuff like that, right? It's when what you've said doesn't make sense to the people you've just told it to. And so for emphasis, what do you say? You you say that. No, really, I saw it with my own eyes. That's what John says. We saw his greatness with our own eyes. And it was a greatness like none other. It's, it's the kind of greatness that only, only the son of the father would have. We saw that he's full of grace. Like when the woman who was caught in adultery was not condemned to death. And we saw that he was full of truth when he tells that same woman to go your way and sin no more. Like John, we want everyone to know what Jesus is like. But how would you want God to reveal himself to you? I mean... how about Abraham's angel? Send me an angel. I don't, I don't need you, God. Just send me an angel, right? But even Abraham didn't believe what they said about how dangerous his nephew Lot's neighborhood was. And he really wasn't even sure that he agreed with God when, when God said through his angels, yeah, that Sodom and Gomorrah place, I'm done. They're not coming back. We just got to burn them out. And and even when it was good news about Sarah in her old age, finally getting pregnant in fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham, even then he didn't believe it. Neither did Sarah. She laughed too. All right, so if not an angel, how about Moses and his burning bush? He was glad to hear that God was going to deliver his people after 400 years of praying. God's finally answering their prayer, right? But he didn't want to be the one to go do it when God says, Okay, you need to go. 
How would you want God to appear to you? Maybe a, a, a pillar of smoke and fire, like what guided them to the promised land when they were coming out of Egypt. And they still complained for a lack of clarity. Where are we going, Moses? How, do you know? Are you lost? Should we? Is there some place we can pull over and ask for directions? We would be better off if we'd never left where we were in Egypt. Can we turn around now and go back? We should kill him. We know better. Miriam, what do you think? Miriam's his sister, right? If we just had a spokesman for God, a prophet, but Jesus knew who that, how that turned out because he wept over Jerusalem over their history of rejecting God's spokesman and ignoring his will, so much so that they would rather stone somebody to death and to see their blood and to see their skulls burst open and their brains on the ground than to admit, you know what, maybe he's right. And then there's one of my personal favorites. You know, when thinking, God, could you just appear like on a morning like this? Talk to me out of a donkey's mouth. I'll be good. If you do that, just let a donkey talk to me. And that story's in Numbers 22. Balaam, the guy that was riding the donkey, was so set on doing what he wanted to do, even though it was the opposite of what God wanted to do, that he starts arguing with this donkey. And it wasn't even Shrek. He tried to win the argument. And, you know, I know none of us would do that. None of us would feel like arguing with God, thinking we're winning the whole time. So how would you want God to reveal himself to you? What would get your attention? Talking, talking donkeys aside, burning bushes aside, yeah, blazing column of fire at night aside, uh, angels or what what would you believe you see ultimately that's why he sent Jesus a real flesh and blood person who would tell people what he was like and he would show them as well and that's why he says what he does in Hebrews chapter 1, the first couple of verses. It says, long ago, God spoke in many times and in many ways. <laughs> Burning bush, angels, smoke, fire, prophets, donkeys. God spoke in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. But in these final days, he's spoken to us through his son. The same one that John would write about when he says, we've seen him. We've seen that he was full of grace and truth. We've seen his greatness with our own eyes. He became flesh and blood. He lived with us. In verse 3 of Hebrews 1, that son reflects the glory of God. And I love the phrasing of the New Century Version when he says, and he shows us exactly what God is like. And that's what we're looking for. God revealed himself to us in Jesus' life. And he did that 24-7, 365. That's why you'd hear him say things like this. 
In John 5, he says, I can do nothing on my own. Why? Because he's here to reveal what God's like. He's here to say what God would say if God were here. He's here to do what God would do if God were here. I can do nothing on my own. I'm just letting God do his thing through me. Or in John 14, verse 10, the things I've told you don't come from me. The Father lives in me, and he's doing his own work in me. He spent his lifetime answering the question, who are you? Who is this man? I mean, even his own disciples, when he's calmed the waters and the storm in the middle of the night, their response was, who are you? Who commands the wind and the waves? And when he would teach in a synagogue, the people would be left stunned because they would say, who speaks with this kind of authority? He speaks like he was God. Here's your sign. Who is it that casts out demons in proof that what he said was true? Even Pilate asked him, are you a king? Are you the Christ? And in time, Jesus wanted to make sure he was getting his point across. So he asked his followers, who do people say that I am? And you know their reaction. Well, some say John the Baptist. Some say the prophet Elijah. Peter says, you're the the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one of God. And as his time here on earth drew to an end, Jesus became more and more emphatic about this to those who followed him. And he would say it this way in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. That's how he lived his life, with an awareness that apart from what God was doing in him and through him, he couldn't do anything. And if he couldn't do anything on his own, then how could they expect to do anything on on their own? Even after the crucifixion and resurrection, here's what he said to some discouraged followers of his that were leaving Jerusalem completely devastated because they had, they had watched the one guy that they'd put their hopes in die on a cross. It says in Luke 24, speaking of that conversation on Emmaus, on the road to Emmaus, It was written that the Christ would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And that a change of hearts and lives, that's what we call repentance. Well, that's what Bible terminology calls repentance. We would call it, man, they really changed their life. They got their act together. They've had a complete change of heart. And he says that, that repentance, that change of heart, that change of life, that happens when we realize we're... That, that we're stained by the blood of Christ, that's forgiven us and washed us white, that that news would be preached in his name to all nations, starting in Jerusalem. Great. And then he says, and you're going to be the witnesses of these things. Great. Front row seat. And then he says, And I'm going to send you to do, to receive what my father promised. Great gifts from God. But you need to stay in Jerusalem until you've received that power from heaven. You see, the disciples initially were all about 
what God wanted to do through Jesus. But they found it implausible that Jesus thought that God could do the same thing through them. But they waited in Jerusalem. They waited for what God promised. They waited until they had received the Holy Spirit, as indicated in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. And that's when they realized God is going to reveal himself in the life of us, his followers, every day, 24-7, 365. It says in Acts 1 verse 8, later they remembered that Jesus had told them this, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. Wait, 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 wait. If you want to be a witness to God, that's fine. You want me to do what you did? You want me to be a witness? Yeah, just tell people everything you saw in me in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, everywhere you go. And after it happened in Acts chapter 2, verse 32, it says, this was what they said. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we're all witnesses of this. No, really, I saw it with my own eyes. In verse 13 of Acts 4, the Jewish leaders saw what was happening. They heard what they were saying, and they realized that Peter and John had no special training or education, but they also saw that they weren't afraid to speak. Why were they not afraid to speak? Because those same people who had led God's people for years came to the realization the reason why they're not afraid is because that Peter and John had been with Jesus. Well, they said, we got to put a stop to this. So in verses 18, 19, and 20 of Acts 4, it says they commanded them to never speak again or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? And here was their conclusion. We cannot stop telling everything that we have seen and heard. Well, that went over like a load of bricks, right? Chapter 5 in Acts, verses 17 and following, the high priest and his officials called the apostles together. They arrested them. They put them in jail. But that night, an angel of the Lord came to them. Imagine that conversation. I'm guessing John had to elbow Peter and wake him up in mid-snore or interrupt him in mid-song. You see that? See what? Because he's not going to admit he sees an angel. But that's the story of what happens in Acts 5. An angel of the Lord came that night. They opened the gates of the jail and brought them out. He told them, go to the temple and tell everyone the message of life. And early the next day, they did as they'd been told. They went to the temple courtyard and they began to tell everyone about Jesus. Now, typically, when we read about that kind of stuff, about everyday people who didn't have any special training, didn't have any special education, they were, after all, most of them fishermen. And when we hear and read about them doing stuff like this, we're kind of tempted to think, good on you. That's awesome. 
Way to go. But see, that was for them, right? It's different. I could never do that. I got some breaking news for you. God still wants to reveal himself in our life every day, 24-7, 365. And one of the reasons why we have a really hard time believing that is because we don't think that's who we are. Someone has stolen our identity, kind of like this commercial. five star. It's my treat. chains and so many diamonds. It's the most we sell in the store. Oh. If they have your personal information, anyone can be you. Yeah. Any of us who have ever experienced bank fraud, you're not laughing at that, right? We don't want to be bankrupt by somebody else. I mean, I do a good enough job on my own about spending more than I bring in. I don't need anybody else's help. But the thing is, when we don't understand who we really are, it's kind of like John Powell when he wrote the book, Why Am I Afraid to Tell You Who I Am? Here's the the subtitle or the, the point of the book. If I tell you who I am, you may not like who I am. But it's all that I've got. You see, we're not the sum total of somebody else's opinion of us. We are not our jobs, our skills, our education, our family, or even our money. We are not what we drive. We are not where we live. We're not even where we go to church. And we're certainly not who Satan says we are. Well, but, but maybe we are because Satan says you're guilty. Satan says you're a sinner. Satan says you've disappointed God. Satan reminds us of the times that we gave in to his temptations and we start to believe that that's who we'll always be. But God wants to reveal himself in our life by teaching us that our true identity is who God says we are. We're forgiven of everything Satan accuses us of. We've been set free uh, from everything that's held us back and, and living as God calls us to live. We are, according to God, credible witnesses of what God can do, has done, and will do in our lives. Everyday people, nothing special, nobody significant. We're just everyday people who put their trust in God because they know who they are in Christ. We are everyday people who try to live 
Well, we try to live the way that Paul writes to a group of Christians in Ephesus. When he tells them in chapter 1, verse 1, we're, we're faithful in Christ every day. In verse 3, we're blessed in Christ in every way. In verse 4, we're chosen in Christ to be holy and blameless in his sight. Yeah, me, me who's a me who's screwed up more times than I'd ever want you to know about. We are blameless every day for eternity. Or chapter 1, verse 7, in Christ, we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins every day. Not just on Sunday, not just when I remember not to spill grape juice on me. No, we have forgiveness every day. In him, we're chosen. God wants me. God doesn't just tolerate me. I, I don't just get to sneak in when he's looking the other way at somebody who deserves to be there. He chose us because that was the will of God, that sinners would be forgiven, that the guilty would be set free and declared innocent because of his sacrifice. Our verse 12, when we put our hope in Christ, the glory of God, God is honored every day. And we're included in Christ because of our response to the truth. And all this because we have the very spirit of God himself, God's seal of approval every day. Not because of what we've done or what we haven't done. We have God's seal of approval because of what Jesus did. There's a guy named Richard Dietrich. He was a youth minister. Let me read a little bit about him. He was leading a student mission trip to Poland a few years ago. His desire and interest in Poland was because his wife happened to be what we would call a Polak, and it wasn't funny to her, but he decided to go check out her ancestry while they're there. He found the town where her family supposedly was from. They went there. He was going to go to the city hall to see if they could give him some information on the family tree, being the husband, trying to suck up to his wife. He says, I'll print it off. It'll look fancy. I'll frame it take it home, I'll get points. He goes to the city hall, and when he mentions his wife's family name, I'll pronounce it prominence, the expression on the guy's face was priceless. Turns out that his wife was a direct descendant of the royal von Prominence family. And they thought every descendant of the von Prominences had been dead forever. They began to apologize to him profusely, and he's not even a von Prominence. He's the, he just married one, right? They apologized profusely because they had just recently sold the von Prominence castle because they thought the family was long gone. This youth minister, Richard, is now known in Poland as Count Dietrich. He was knighted Sir Richard 
And he and his family can have an audience with the president of the country anytime they want. They've met with Poland's greatest generals and religious leaders. He can walk into the Zary City Hall anytime he wants, but when he walked in that day, he had no idea of who he was or who his family had been. He had no idea of what he was worth, the land, the castles, the treasures. He had no idea of the opportunities or the privileges that his new identity would afford him because now he can walk into any school, any church, and share his faith in Christ. And every year when his family hosts the Von Prominence Music Festival, it draws hundreds of thousands to hear the uncompromising message, not just of great music, but of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Turns out that because of his identity, everything was made new. And that's the same as it is for you and I. You see, Jesus reflected the glory of God when he was one of us. And that's what our lives are supposed to look like. Jesus showed people exactly what God was like. And it gave them hope. Now that may seem impossible, but it doesn't mean it's not true that God still wants to reveal himself in our life. And here's a clue. God can make that happen even in my life. The same way he did in the disciples' life and the same way that he did in Jesus' life. You see, that's the promise that Paul tells the Christians in a place called Galatia. No, there's not going to be any geography test afterwards, but just know this. This is what he needed them to hear. In chapter 2, verse 20, he says, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It'd be like that youth minister just going back and being a youth minister, playing games with the kids and teaching them a little bit about the Bible and not realizing that, no, this is not any particular youth minister. This is Sir Richard. My old life's been crucified with Christ. It's now... Christ who lives in me. And here's his explanation to them about how something like that can happen even in their life every day. He says this in Galatians 5 verse 22. The contemporary English version phrases a very familiar passage this way. God's spirit makes us, and then he goes through a listing of the fruits of the spirit but he attributes the presence of the Spirit of God in him as making him loving and happy and peaceful and patient and kind and good and faithful and gentle. Even something as crazy as making him self-controlled, giving him a self-discipline he's never had before. The Living Bible says it this way, when the Holy Spirit controls our life, the fruit is love and joy and peace and patience. You get the idea. And then he identifies for them what it will require from us every single day. If that's going to be true of our life, here's how he says it in Galatians chapter 5, verse 25. 
since we're living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's lead in every part of our lives. Instead of just rejecting and resisting the will of God in our life, what it will require of us to reveal what God is like, we'll need to let his presence be revealed in our morals. If we're going to let people see what God is like in our life, then we need to let the very spirit and nature and character of God be seen in our character and how we live our life. That's how people see God in the flesh again. Not because Jesus showed up, but because God showed up in us. In our flesh and blood. People may acknowledge God at church on Sunday. But they'll experience God through us. Every day. Every week every month, and every year that we have life in this world. That's what happens when we treat people with God's love instead of our conditions. That's what happens when we treat people with the joy that comes from the presence of God in us as opposed to just the happiness we have when things go our way and knuckleheads stay out of our way. You can insert their names or what they do. That's what happens, that people see what God is really like when they see the peace of God in us no matter what's going on in the turmoil around us. That's what happens when people see us treat others with his kindness when they are rude and ugly and mean. And the worse they are and the better that God is in us to them, that's when they see what God's really like. When they see that we can be counted on to keep our word. That's called faithful. Not when we're harsh with people, but when we're gentle. And when they see us living lives that aren't out of control, people can actually see God for who he really is in everyday life, in everyday people, just like us. And when that happens, it's like salt that makes them thirsty for more. It's the light that shows them away when they're surrounded by darkness. That's what happens when God reveals himself in us. Gloria, why don't you and the praise team join us back on stage and we'll wrap up with this. God still wants to reveal himself. The time for him to do that in Jesus has passed. The time for burning bushes and pillars of fire and clouds, the, t the time for talking donkeys is past. Uh, present company excluded. But the time is now.
this day, every day, for God to reveal himself in our lives. Will people see you living as someone who's been forgiven? Will they see your respect for the moral character of God? Will they see your role model of hope and gratitude to God? If you've been united with Christ in baptism, are you representing what it is to be one with him? 24-7, 365. What kind of witness is your life? Because that's always been his intention. (laughs) That we would tell everyone what we've seen and know to be true. And the best way to do that is to let him live in us. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to learn more about Marysville Christian Church and connect with us, be sure to go to our website, marysvillechristian.org. If you are near the Marysville area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday morning. We have our Bible study classes at 9 a.m. and our regular worship service is at 10 a.m. Our address is 17,000 Waldorf Road, Marysville, Ohio, 43040. Our phone number is 937-642-9838. Email is office at marysvillechristian.org.